0: Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King. Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times, data with a loaded WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. We are here to break down every single thing that happened on SmackDown and Raw over the last couple of days as WWE is well on its way to what should be an interesting edition of Survivor Series, to say the least. This is the 89th episode of Getting Over. It just so happens to also be Election Day. So if anyone happens to be listening to us while you're in line to vote, that's awesome. You're doing your civic duty. Big thumbs up from the Silver King. I would love to know. Send me a tweet at Getting Overcast with the show while you're online, a photo of it. Um, You know, just, hey, let, let us know where you are in the world and hopefully the line isn't too long. But if we can get you through that line, that would be fantastic. For those of you who early voted, mail-in voted, I appreciate all of you, as I said, big thumbs up from the Silver King from the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Thank you all very, very much. That will be the end of our political discussion because we are not getting over the politics podcast. We're getting over the wrestling podcast. And as I said, we have an absolutely packed WWE show. Of course, you can follow the show on Twitter, as I just mentioned, at getting overcast. You can also follow me personally at Silverstein Adam, and you can follow the WWE co-host, Chris Benini, at Chris Benini. Chris, it has been a wild week in the world of sports, really American politics as well, certainly, but the world of professional wrestling too. And I am excited for today's show because I happen to believe, and I know we say this here and there, hey, you know, Raw and SmackDown both pretty good this week. I think the back to back SmackDown and Raw this week was it gave me a belief that maybe Raw can roll once again. Raw has been very mediocre to bad for the better part of, I'd say, at least two months now. And what I saw from Monday night was a really cohesive, well put together, well thought out show that gives me hope for not just the build to Survivor Series, but what we're going to see from WWE going forward here.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I feel like we've said a couple times this year all that might have been the best back-to-back SmackDown and Raw of of the year. This is probably in that conversation. It wasn't, I don't think, a great episode of Raw, but it was a solid Raw that had a clear, you know, focus. And we don't get that every week. And SmackDown, again, was great and continues to be great, I think. But Raw did step up its game. And uh, just in time, like you said, as we're getting ready... For the Survivor Series.
0: Yeah. Um, I was actually, I got to say, pleasantly surprised. Like the Monday Night Football game was so bad that WWE, <laughs> instead of having like 75% of my attention like it normally does, it had 100%. And I just was watching it. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. And that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And that's funny. And I am just like, what show am I watching? Here? <laughs> like, honestly, because SmackDown has been consistently good, you know, for a lot. Some, sometimes great. But consistently good. We have not had a three hour episode of Raw where I would say two and a half hours of it was good wrestling television in a long time, really since Paul Heyman was there. And I feel like we got that on Monday night. So I was really happy and I'm very excited to talk about that with everyone. Of course, before we break down everything that happened on Raw and SmackDown, a reminder to head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a five star rating and review. You guys know the drill. Every single time we get a new five-star review, it helps the show. That's the goal. Help the show. Help me help you. Actually, help you help me. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Finn says it better. That's what I meant. Go back to being a mark for the Silver King, the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, and Chris Vanini and our WWE episodes. But with that, Chris, let's not waste any more time. Let's hop right into the main, event. the main event. And while I do think Raw is going to play a pretty large role on this show, we do have to start with SmackDown because the number one storyline in WWE, honestly, I think the number one storyline in the world of professional wrestling, any brand full stop is Roman Reigns, the heel turn as the tribal chief, and this family dynamic situation going on with Jey Uso. And to, I don't know if this is a quote of Star Wars, to reference Star Wars, despite <laughs> oh Lord, me oh having, despite me having never seen it, and still not even knowing what I'm referencing, <laughs> Jey Uso this week turned to the dark side. Is that correct? Did I get that right?
1: Yeah, I, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It was a, it was a good okay.
0: effort there. All right. So Jey Uso turned to the dark side as part of a storyline, Chris, that absolutely, Is dominating right now. It's as I said, the best thing going in wrestling. Roman Reigns opened SmackDown and he was ruthless, telling Jay he needed to bend the knee and say the oath. Uh, Jay looked like he wanted to absolutely murder Roman and chop his head off. Called him out for being a scumbag. There was a lot of emotion in this opening segment with Jay crying, saying he hates Reigns, and Reigns coming back saying he still loves him and he'll he's sure that he'll come around, but he needed an answer by the end of the night. And that's so typical WWE booking of we're going to tease you off the top, but you're going to need to stay tuned for two hours because you don't know when that answer is going to come, but when it does, you're going to want to see it. And when I say typical, I don't mean that as a bad thing. That's a good thing. That's wrestling. When you say, Hey, you need to watch these two hours of programming because we are going to pay something off. The problem is sometimes they don't pay it off, right? They paid it off on uh, Friday night. I almost said Sunday night. I don't know why Uh, on Friday night. Now, we had a qualifying match for the Survivor Series here in between, where Jay Uso defeats Daniel frickin' Bryan. Reigns came down to watch the match before the commercial break. Brian put Jay over, which is honestly incredible when you really think about it. After the match, Jay said he's with Reigns and admitted how he's the head of the table. Reigns just looked at Brian, glanced his direction. Jay super kicked him, hit him with a second Uso splash. Then he finally said he understands and he loves Reigns. So he beat the crap out of Daniel Bryan, ran him into the steel steps, hit a Uso splash from the top rope through the announce table and continued beating on him all as Reigns watched from inside the ring. What's crazy is if you actually are on WWE social media, the beatdown continued after SmackDown went off the air. Bryan was put on a stretcher. Uso pulled him off. I think he hit another splash if memory serves. So he just beat the absolute crap out of him. The one thing I'd have done differently here is Jace playing off snapping a little bit better. He just won the match and then decided to align with Reigns. There wasn't like a moment where Reigns' presence kind of led to him winning or where he realized he was being too nice to Daniel Bryan. And then the only way he was ultimately going to beat him was if he got more aggressive. So I felt like they missed that small little detail. But other than that, this thing operated at an A-level, It was an incredible storyline, and now they have gone full circle and told us not only is Jay with Roman because of storyline reasons, because in in kayfabe, he lost a stipulation match, he wants to be there, and that's what they needed to do to hammer this home.
1: Yeah, and I like that he's not presented... As like a, a henchman getting in line here. I mean, he just beat Daniel Friggin' Bryan exactly, in the yep. main event to join the Survivor Series team. And, you know, before Daniel Bryan went away for uh the birth of another child, you know, Brian was largely putting people over. He was putting Drew Gulak over and, and doing stuff like that. And it's clear at this stage in his career, that is important to him. So like you mentioned, you know, credit Brian for, for really putting Jay over here as well. But Jay absolutely you know more than carried his end of the bargain in this whole three-person deal on on, on Friday, and uh, man, the, the emotion that Jay had in that promo to start the show, just yelling, "I, I hate you!" And, and and you know, basically in tears. Just he he's been he's been killing it, and Roman has been in great. Roman's been great as well. This every single week, this is must see. One one of the few must see things happening. In WWE, and every week it's delivering. I I, every week I'm like, I can't wait to see what Roman and Jay do the next week because I know it's going to be good. Like, it's just this is so much fun to watch. Can't wait to see where it goes next. Uh, This is quickly moving into feud storyline of the year territory.
0: Guys, that was red. I am totally up with the smoke, right? Fist me, boys. I mean, that's how I feel when I see this, right? It's like. (laughs) I, I wish someone was there to fist, you know, like to say, hey, that was freaking awesome. And Jay, yeah, he's kind of like Roman's great. Jay's kind of the MVP. He's like the sneaky MVP of the storyline because of that raw emotion, the way he speaks, because he's, you know, I don't know. I don't necessarily know the best way to articulate it, but he's he's gruff, but he's a gruff man crying and showing emotion, right? You sometimes see faces cry in wrestling. You don't usually see a gruff guy do it. And, and that's what he is like. And I do wonder what happens when Jimmy comes back because Jay is now the one who's been beaten down and almost forced into submission to some degree. But Jimmy was the one who previously was kind of submitting to Roman where he was like, look, just don't hurt Jay. Like, well, uh, you know, you're the tribal chief, no big deal. So, when J- Jimmy is healthy, and I'm sure they have that planned out now for when Reigns is in trouble and Jay helps him and Jay fails, that Reigns needs that one additional person. Jimmy comes out, and now you have all three of them together as the bloodline. But when that happens, I'm so now excited to see Jimmy and play his role in it. And is there anyone else? Do we get a Tamina? Do we get, you know, someone coming from the outside that is not signed by WWE that's part of the family where they can? kind of factor them into it. I'm just very curious how this is going to develop. But what's also really interesting is what the storyline is going to be now for the Universal Championship. Because to me, what this storyline did very successfully, it set up the next challenger while simultaneously saying, hey, look, it's going to make sense if they're out of action for a couple of weeks because they just got the absolute shit kicked out of them, right? And we have Survivor Series coming up, so we don't really need a main event storyline on SmackDown Because Roman Reigns is the main event storyline. This to me says Daniel Bryan is going to be the first challenger or the next challenger for Roman Reigns Universal Championship after Survivor Series. That's why this angle not only worked for Jay in Storyline standpoint, but it worked for Bryan because Bryan now has complete reason to go after Jay, to go after Roman. Hopefully, they do a scenario where after the Survivor Series match, the following Friday on SmackDown, Daniel Bryan's back. He wants a shot at the title. Reigns is like, you have to go through Jay. This guy beat you. You can't even beat Jay. How do you think you can beat me? Brian beats Jay because Jay has been built up now to such a degree, he can lose to anyone. He's beaten AJ Styles, if memory serves. He's beaten Daniel Bryan. He's gone toe to toe with Roman Reigns in a couple of matches. So this guy can lose at this point. So I think you have Daniel Bryan come back, beat Jay Uso, earn a number one contendership, and you have a ready made feud, Daniel Bryan versus Roman Reigns. And how crazy is it, dude? It's the way we've always wanted it to be with Daniel Bryan as the face, Roman Reigns as the heel. Ever since when Daniel Bryan came back, but Roman Reigns ended up winning Royal Rumble anyway when no one wanted him to, you have a ready-made storyline with Reigns in the position you've always wanted him to be. So you're right. This could end up being the storyline of 2020. And really quickly, like in a four-month span, this can somehow overtake Randy Orton edge and Drew McIntyre winning the title and the stuff, some of the stuff that's happening in AEW. We don't know how that's going to resolve itself. This could end up being it. And it is really exciting to see it.
1: Yeah. We'll see where it goes. I think what you laid out makes a lot of sense. It's basically what I expect. I, I think, I think we maybe get a Jimmy versus Jay situation where Jimmy eventually comes on board the same way Jay did. I don't know if they'll do, group type matches or, or what have you. But yeah, when, when Roman turned after the match, when Roman turned and looked at Daniel Bryan, essentially, you know, urging Jay on to do what he did. That was a, immediately what I flashed back to was the, I think it was the first edition of fast lane when we got the Roman versus Daniel Bryan matches a way to kind of like make up for Roman winning the Royal Rumble when Daniel Bryan wasn't in it. And <laughs> And and that was such a weird dynamic because you know Brian did what he could to try to get Roman over, but it just it wasn't going to happen. And now, yeah, we're here. We're exactly where we want it to be. I was like, this is this is perfect. What better way to keep Roman a heel than to go through Daniel Bryan? And that's exactly what they're setting up. And yeah, they, they don't need to get to it right away. You know, you got Survivor Series coming up. But this is the type of thing where you could do whatever, is it TLC, the December pay-per-view? I'm not sure. You could do... I don't know. I don't even know if they've announced it, but usually it is. Yeah, so say you do a, a, a TLC in December, and you could have them also do Royal Rumble in January. This could easily be a two-and-a-half month feud to take you into WrestleMania season, because it's Daniel Bryan. Like, you know, he he doesn't need to fight his way into certain things sometimes. You know, I mean, he will, but it's already understood that he's a main event player. So you can do this for a couple of months and it worked out. So I'm really, I hope they do that. I think it'd be great. I, I based on where COVID's going, I imagine we're not going to have fans anytime soon, but you know, if it ever got to that point, a, a great way to keep the, You know, keep the booze on Reigns once the fans start, is to have him go right up against Daniel Bryan. That's the thing. It's
0: already been great. And somehow for me, I think Daniel Bryan is going to take it over the top because it's not just that you're giving him someone else to remain a heel against, you're giving him the perfect person. Daniel Bryan is the perfect person, long term storytelling with Reigns. And even in the moment, because he just returned and he's so over, and you don't need to tell people hey, in this feud, this guy's a face. You know Daniel Bryan currently is operating as a face. So I'm just really excited for it. you also make a good point. Yes, we do have TLC coming up at the end of the month. I believe it's scheduled as of right now for December 20th. So that will be the last main roster pay-per-view of the year, the following one being Royal Rumble. Are you going to have Daniel Bryan win the Royal Rumble? No. Are you going to have Roman Reigns do it? No. So you really do, like you said, Have a two-month feud set up. The question is, how exactly do you extend it beyond, you know, a month? Because you think he's going to be out of action for a little bit. You're going to have four weeks to build the TLC. TLC, you would assume, is going to be some type of hardcore match, either a tables or ladders or chairs or a TLC match between them. You're not going to just have a regular singles match. So then you think, well, what do you do after that? And it's very similar to the Roman Reigns, Jey Uso thing. It's like, well, how do you go to another level? And then you do a cage match, but you also do an I quit match and they did it. So the question is, are they going to just be able to do that with Roman Reigns and Daniel Bryan? I aim right now towards yes, thinking yes, just because they're both incredible. And Bryan is literally on the writing team for SmackDown now. Plus, you have Paul Heyman involved. So this could really be when we're closing out 2020 It could end up being the storyline of the year. And I was, you know, I'll I'll be remiss. I I didn't mention Sasha Banks and Bayley earlier. They're certainly in that conversation as well. But this is giving everything else a run for its money. Like you said, when I turn on SmackDown, I'm anticipating and excited what's going to happen next. And there's no better thing that you can feel as a wrestling fan. Besides, I guess, being swerved out, out of your ass than... Oh my God, what's going to happen next? And that's how I feel every time I see Roman Reigns or Jay or they advertise this. And now that they've infused Daniel Bryan, one of my favorite wrestlers, into it, I think it's great. So just operating at a hundred level right now on SmackDown, really good for them. So let's move over to Raw and we'll talk about the main storyline there, which is Randy Orton basically dealing with a war on two fronts right now. Three fronts. They opened Raw. Three fronts, you're right. Three fronts. They opened Raw And it felt old school, man. Like The the opening of Raw on Monday night, I don't want to say it was Attitude Era, but it was like early 2000s WWE, where they set something up and they said, this is going to be the storyline for this entire show, and you're going to want to stay tuned to see how it plays out. Very similar to how SmackDown did it, except as you just pointed out, there were three fronts all waging war basically simultaneously on Randy Orton and that includes a lot of the roster getting involved in something which for raw is necessary because it's such a long show and there's so many people on the roster Orton right off the top cut an epic promo about no longer being the legend killer but instead the legend and by the way they should roll with that he should be the legend Randy Orton I hope they do he said a legend instead of the legend Just not not the living legend. Not the living legend. The legend, period. Um, I think that's a great name for him. They can sell shirts. You know, 14-time champion, I believe he is now. It works, so they need to roll with that. But he called out the entire roster, and you're expecting to see Drew McIntyre's music hit or The Fiend. No, we get Alexa Bliss, which was perfect. She continues to be awesome in her role. And then we get another surprise, when it's Drew McIntyre who comes out after the Fiend's music and manic laugh. Instead of the Fiend, he gets the Claymore. And right as we think the segment is over, Chris, the Miz tries to cash in money in the bank, but McIntyre stops him. And then he takes John Morrison and he throws him over the top rope like he's a sack of potatoes. I've honestly never seen someone do that with another guy that's a similar size. Like John <laughs> Morrison's a somewhat big dude you know it's it's not like you're dealing with a Daniel Bryan there Morrison's large just throws him over the top rope that was crazy it continued last week's storyline simultaneously created more questions and gave us plenty of reason to stay tuned for me this is a perfect opening for a Raw a perfect WWE style opening
1: opening and as I said with Smackdown two thumbs up yeah this is how every episode of Raw should be just like there's gonna be a story that evolves throughout the night. Like, <laughs> it's it's basic stuff. It's basic storytelling, and that's exactly how it should go. And, and this worked because you know when when Randy Orton won, you know I said I know a lot of people have said I'm just kind of done with the Randy Drew stuff. Can't keep it going. It, it's been too too long. Do something different. Well, they kept it going, but they've thrown in so many different things that it, it makes it really interesting. You know, this is how in kayfabe. This is you should have a lot of people wanting to get to the champion because he's the champion. Like it it never it never makes sense. There's only one person gets to like be in the vicinity of the champion. It should be make this feel like a, a, you know, a living, breathing world where things and and people have different motives and different uh, plans. So that makes it interesting because it makes perfect sense for all these people to want to go after Randy Orton. Uh, I, I have to make one criticism. And that is that the announcer did say Miz cashed in. But I guess we didn't, didn't ring the bell. We didn't get a bell rung. So I guess that needs to be. I, I know they said Miz didn't cash in, but it always gets weird in those moments. Sometimes they're waiting forever. Just make well, it Well No, clear. you got to go. No, you you cash in. They, they go to the, they take you to the separate corners. They ring the bell. That's well, kayfabe. Sometimes they didn't ring they, the bell. They don't always they don't always send you to the corners because sometimes but they been, always been ring the bell. Out. Yeah, that, that's what it has to be. The not, the ring bell. I just I don't know if I, I'd ever seen it where it had been announced but not gotten the wrong bell. So that was just a little confusing at the moment. Uh, I don't know that I can counter that and say that I do, but I pro- I just feel
0: like it's happened with Dolph Ziggler. I have no evidence. I can't even tell you <laughs> a certain time, but it just feels like that's happened with Dolph Ziggler. I, I maybe, know. maybe, but, maybe. But no, you make, it, it, well, you make a thing. point in the moment. In the moment, yeah. it was like, wait a minute. Like it felt like it was actually happening. Yeah. And that's what they did. They did it on purpose that way. I mean, it was right. good.
1: Right. I just, yeah, I, I know they kind of said later it didn't cash in. I, I think I, maybe they explained it and I missed it. But if they just said the bell didn't ring there, or maybe they'll say it next week. The bell didn't ring. Therefore, it wasn't a cash. And that's why. Well, like, Boom, that's fine. And it's not a big deal. Like I said, it, it doesn't really change anything. That was just a thought I had at the time.
0: Well they no they did. So I think okay. Samoa Joe, I think Samoa Joe pointed it out in the moment. But then Miz immediately after like a segment later backstage, he cut that backstage promo with a ton of passion where he's like, you know, I had him I had him beat. I was ready, and then Morrison's like, "Fact." And he's like, "The bell never rang, so I still have my money in the bank briefcase." He's like, "Fact." So they they laid okay. that out very gotcha. specifically kind of saying, "Hey, like I should have had this simultaneously. I also didn't cash in and ruin my opportunity." So And that was a great promo with Miz and Morrison backstage. Orton McIntyre cut some good ones as well. Sheamus was backstage trying to recruit McIntyre for the Survivor Series team, which was a really interesting heel face dynamic. Unless Sheamus is turning face, which is possible based on what happened later in the show in that triple threat um, match that they had, it kind of seemed like Sheamus was showing some face tendencies. But all of that was great. And it it just encapsulated the point that you're making that I'm making which is not only do you want multiple people going after the title at any given time, if you, if the champion is in a situation where they're not having a match for the title soon, which he's not because he's fighting, as of right now, Roman Reigns. Now, of course, look, that can change. They can do McIntyre Orton on Raw in two weeks. McIntyre beats him the Monday before the pay-per-view, and all of a sudden, it's McIntyre-Reigns. It's possible. I don't put anything past WWE, but... As of right now, you're going to have heel versus heel. There's only so much really to build up towards that match. It's a really weird match, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, if they actually get to it, because uh, Orton has to lose. But at the same time, he really shouldn't. So how do you actually do it? Maybe you do a DQ. But because that isn't really strong, you need to strengthen the main event picture and the storylines that you're telling, because you not only need storylines for another couple of weeks of Raw. And now that you have three people, you can mix and match them. But you also need to start your storyline for the four weeks that's going to lead you into TLC. So I just love the way that they're doing this. And I'll continue with one other point before you get in, before we finish this off. Firefly Funhouse, that was some damn good stuff. Oh, yeah, It was so smart with Abby the witch cursing, using the Wyatt family symbol as like the bleep part of it. You. can It was great. They gave us (laughs) sound drops for the podcast. We always appreciate that. Bliss showing off her new trick with the tongue and then having the same look later in the show when Nikki Cross confronted her with the, the white contacts with the spirals in them. I also love that The Fiend has hurt heel gloves and she has play or pain gloves. It's really smart stuff. Really interesting booking. They showed the prayer shack and Randy Orton burning it down. It was hysterical. This segment as well. Firefly Funhouse, all the extraneous stuff backstage was a really
1: big win for me. Yeah, the Funhouse is just it's really fresh every week for the most part. You know, this is not typically something we get when we have someone who's just doing promos every week and they're not wrestling. I mean, I think back to Stardust and Goldust or. Alistair Black in the back room, and kind of you know even Bray Wyatt, you know way back when you get promo after promo, and it was just eventually you knew you weren't going to see him in the ring, so it got boring. They've kept this interesting, and 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 this is another one of those kind of must see things still uh, every week. So I, I thought I, I like that, and as it relates coming back to to Randy Orton and where he is, I would love to see them take Orton not now, but maybe in a few weeks if. If this multi front war keeps happening to kind of take him back to paranoid Randy Orton from back in like the authority days uh, in like 2013 or so when he was the champion and he was the the double champ and he was always paranoid that someone was trying to screw him over because he's got a lot of people coming at him now. He did a really good job in that role where he was concerned and, and always kind of looking over his shoulder. And I think this is this would be an opportunity to down the road in a few weeks of this uh, possibly take him there. It could work
0: that way. And you also have Orton who says one thing and acts another. Like he says he's not scared of the fiend, but he's always checking over his shoulder for Mm -hmm. the fiend. Right. So it it works on so many different levels. And I'm just really liking it as a main event storyline. The last part of it was Drew McIntyre defeating Miz and Morrison in a handicap match. And you knew this was going to come. You knew it would happen just like it did with Braun Strowman when he was WWE champion and Miz and Morrison challenged him to a two-on-one match. And with Strowman, it at least made a little bit more sense since he's so freaking big. With McIntyre, it's like, are you really going to have, he's not even the champion anymore. You're going to have him win a two-on-one match against guys. Yeah, McIntyre is bigger, but they're both similarly sized. Miz is a former champion. They're Morrison's been an IC champion and a tag team champion. I I kind of sometimes hate when they do the two-on-one handicap and they just make it look so easy for the guy. Because now you're taking Miz and Morrison. Miz has the money in the bank briefcase. I know he's a chicken shit swarmy heel. I get it. I know what they are as a tag team. But they're also one of the few legitimate tag teams on Raw right now. And if they're going to lose 2 and one to McIntyre, then what how are they going to challenge New Day or her business eventually for the titles? It just it doesn't make really that much sense. But McIntyre not only wasted both guys with some awesome moves, to be fair. There was the slingshot outside the ring, which was really cool. He kicked out of the skull crushing finale, Mrs. Finisher, despite it being a handicap match. He then hit a tope on hilo on both guys outside the ring and then the claymore on Miz for the win. Orton pops in at the end of the show with an RKO, which you could expect. And then The Fiend's laugh ended the show. I like having the laugh ending the show as opposed to what WWE's been doing, especially for Raw, and leaving us on a cliffhanger. If they did The Fiend's laugh and the light shut out, and then The Fiend wound up in the ring across from Orton staring at each other, and then they went off the air, that would have been similar to what they've done the last couple of weeks where I've really complained about it because they don't give you the extra on Raw talk or... On social media. They don't tell you what happened after the show went off the air. Instead, they did this the right way by having the fiend laugh, but not give you that real cliffhanger of him showing up. So I thought that was a big improvement in terms of ending it. We got an absolute banger of a match. Really exciting. But yes, I think it's fair to say it was predictable. Sometimes predictable things are good. And this was good. I, I It wasn't great, but it was good.
1: Yeah, it just again, it it told the story. It doesn't it? Doesn't have to end with the biggest finish, or the biggest cliffhanger. I'm I'm I've been okay with some of the you know the show ends while there's fighting going on. I I think it's good to change it up. You know, don't don't always do the same thing every week. So this was a good way to 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 wrap it up um, based on what happened last week, based on what happened in this show. So yeah, just you know, I I didn't like. The two on one. I don't know why you couldn't have just done Miz versus McIntyre. I, I don't think they any- did it last week. I think that's why. Oh, that—that's true. Maybe do
0: Morrison versus. Yeah, him? I
1: mean, yeah, I mean, and if you don't think that's a main event match, I don't know. I mean, like, is a is a handicap match going to dr- make that much of a difference for the third hour? Then, well,
0: you McIntyre? you know what match should you know what match should have been the main event?
1: What's that? The big meaty men slapping meat. Oh yeah, of course. That, that was your main event. Of course, of course. So yeah, it it was fine. It it, it was you know. They they told the story beginning to end, so it's a good step forward.
0: All right, so let's continue on in the main event with the build to Survivor Series. I'm talking about the Survivor Series matches, the five-on-five five traditional matches. So we'll start with Raw, and we'll start with the men's side. We'll talk men, and then we'll talk women. Uh, the men's team did that segment where they were all kind of arguing together in the ring. And Chris, it's really weird to compliment a storyline for simply being completely competent, and coherent. But that's what this was, and it's why it was so good. Every single person that entered the ring made 100% complete sense in their role. And you could tell, or at least I could tell as a viewer, that a lot of thought and effort was put into the execution, not only for it to make sense, but to keep everyone strong. AJ Styles was cocky and confident which is perfectly in character, demanding to be captain. Keith Lee was not intimidated by the bodyguard, came in as someone who was very successful last week and a member of the team. Sheamus was able to pull the seniority card on Styles. I'm not sure where the ages sit, but I do think Styles is older, but Sheamus is like, look, you may be older. I've been in WWE way longer than you have. And poked Styles with the minor league comments as well. And then Braun Strowman comes to the ring, and by the way, I really like Braun's new look. I should I should mention that. Making a case, he doesn't need to qualify because he beat Keith Lee last week. Which yeah, it was dirty, and they went back and forth about that. So they didn't let Strowman get away with it, and Lee stood up for himself. I thought Strowman was pretty good on the mic. Styles was smart, being a, a heel, a chicken crap heel like he is, for forcing a triple threat match with everyone else except himself, while almost being smarter than everyone else and putting himself in the position to actually be the captain of the SmackDown team. I just thought, I'm watching this segment and in WWE, when you see four people come out, you're like, oh my God, it's gonna be so sloppy and then they're just gonna talk over each other. This was really well-planned considering that they had just done a four-person segment kind of to open the show. You're like, oh my God, they're gonna do this twice. But in this case, for a Survivor Series team, it made complete sense to me. I thought the execution, and we'll talk about the match momentarily, but I thought the execution of this was really good.
1: Yeah, I, I liked the way it played out. I when, when Keith Lee took over the mic um, before, uh, might have been for I don't know if, who came out, but Keith Lee took the mic and started really dropping some heat, like being s- serious and upfront and sounding tough. And I was, I my ears perked up, and I was like, "Whoa, this is the Keith Lee." I want right. to see on the mic the guy who's exactly. like the guy who's yep. talking tough, going to kick some ass, not just going to, you know, kind of step away and talk about how great he is or something like that. And then Seamus walks up and they kind of do their thing. And, and yeah, it was really well done. I like all these guys working together. My only thing and this kind of just it hangs over all of this is that like we. We. How do you feel about, are you bought into the concept of the Survivor Series match here? Like as as to why this matters for these people?
0: Not at all. The, the one thing lacking for Survivor Series this year, and it's because of how they scheduled everything, is why do these people care about representing Raw? Right. And why do they care about teaming up? If WWE said, or if Adam Pearce came out and said, look, guys, there's a $10,000 purse on the line. Bingo. Bingo! You know, the, for each member of the winning team, now you're talking, right? And and now these guys have motivation. If they made even the brand versus brand matches, uh, because they not they're not going to be title versus title. If they put money on the line, kayfabe money or prestige, the winner gets to pick for the championship matches. Let's say the winner gets to pick their next challenger or. I don't even know what else the stipulations could be, but it's wrestling. You can come up. Uh, the winner gets to pick stipulation matches for it's, their next two title defenses, right? Whatever the case is, you have to put some stakes on the line at Survivor Series for the championship matches. And then for the other matches, the, the team versus team ones, the five on fives, I mean, put money on the line. Like just make it very simple. If you're going to do it one month after a draft, because it's almost giving people reason to buy into the fact that these guys want to be Team Raw, they're gelling together, and now you're creating a more cohesive locker room. Otherwise, don't hold the freaking draft one month before Survivor Series. We talked about it. I understand what they wanna do. October is when they do the... You know, it's the news television season. It's when all the premieres start, so they want to start their contracts and they want to go out with start with a bang. They want to do a draft and change the rosters and they want to do it at the beginning. I understand it, okay, but timing wise, it doesn't make any sense with Survivor Series. If you're going to do it, then you got to push Survivor Series to the last week of November. You got to do the draft the first week of October, and you got to give that whole two month period to really try to engender some brand loyalty or something. But really the truth is, the draft should be your season ending episodes. You should do the prior pay-per-view in like September. Then the week after the pay-per-view, you do the draft. Everyone changes brands. Then you start your new season with everyone already on their new shows and you build for two months until Survivor Series. They got it all backwards, and because they got it backwards, it now makes Survivor Series seem stupid and not really that important. But the truth is, it very easily can be with just a couple storyline tweaks. Your other option is take Survivor Series. I know it's uh, traditionally a November pay-per-view. I get it, Thanksgiving time, whatever. Move it in the calendar to, I don't know, like February or maybe maybe after WrestleMania. Maybe you use it after WrestleMania instead of doing a payback or something. You do it between WrestleMania and Money in the Bank. But you move it somewhere and you put King of the Ring in November because what that does is it creates a contender or a new champion for one of your major titles. And it still gives you a couple months until Royal Rumble because no matter what, the Royal Rumble winner needs two to three months to get to WrestleMania. Whereas if you start creating new challengers through the King of the Ring tournament, that can set up all of your storylines. King of the Ring traditionally is in June. Actually, by the way, that's what you do. You put, or or used to be when they did King of the Ring, you put Survivor Series in June, you put King of the Ring in November. That is how I would book it. Just the Silver King. But I, I think that for them to have built Survivor Series the way they're building it, Even though the last couple of years it's felt important, last year primarily because NXT got involved, this year doesn't feel important. It just feels like this is a pay-per-view we do and we're building matches for it because we have to.
1: Yeah, nobody cares about brand supremacy. You know, other than maybe that first year after they re-split the rosters for the, and yet SmackDown Live with Shane and the other one with Stephanie, that first year I could kind of get the sense because there was a real like non kayfabe, you know, fight going on, but that's not the case anymore. It, 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 SmackDown's not the underdog as it was back then. SmackDown has the Fox deal. SmackDown's technically the bigger one right now. So, yeah, there. It, it's just, it, it makes no sense. I, I I am 100% I've been saying this for years and, it, and it's especially true now since you don't have fans in the crowd. Just kayfabe money. Like, this should be the case for any match. Any If you're winning matches in pro wrestling, you are making more money. And that's why you want to win like there's just such like this isn't like like it's not like a sport in that you have scheduled games and you just go through the schedule and play them like no like it mean it has to mean something to people to win these matches that is more than just about gaining momentum for a pay-per-view or everything's a grudge match and we wrestle seven times in a row you know it doesn't you don't need to get so intricate into it. And we've talked about this before, and AEW has not necessarily lived up to the promise, but that's what the rankings and the standings with the records were supposed to be. Just have something so there are, are stakes involved for every match, more you know, more for the bigger matches, and something like these guys want to be on the Survivor Series team because there's a million-dollar prize for the winner, and they want to be involved in that. Would just like it would just make everything make more sense. It just it hovers over. I, I really liked what they did on Monday. But the basic premise of why this is happening still just kind of hangs over everything. And it does every year, really, for Survivor Series.
0: I I don't agree that it does every year because I think in prior years, so two years ago, they did a really good job building to Survivor Series with Becky Lynch and and the women's invasion and, and all that stuff. That was a hot ass Survivor Series. And then last year with NXT, I thought they did a really good job as well. Now, we don't know if NXT ended up getting inserted because of the Saudi Arabia situation. And then it just made sense for them to include them. So we're not sure about that. But Survivor Series NXT got put over last year. The year before, it made Becky Lynch on her way to WrestleMania. Not to mention, the show was good as well. So I actually disagree about the value of Survivor Series. Where I agree is it lacks value when you put it so close to the draft. Because at least in those situations, those people had reasons to be brand loyal. In this situation, they really don't. So you know, you're just kind of doing it. And I guess New Day and Street Profits maybe is somewhat decent, but usually the way they fix this is with an invasion or with people talking crap on social media, have people invade the raw talk and talking smack sets, get something going. I know, I, I know people would complain if they overdid the invasions, but at some point you need them to happen because right now it's getting kind of stagnant. Right. And it's just like, hey, we're building these matches, but why do I care exactly who wins them? I I really shouldn't, other than I may like this wrestler more than that wrestler. So I think we're both kind of saying the same thing, but I do disagree about the past. Survivor Series brand versus brand to me has been entertaining. And I thought they've done a decent job. But this year, it just seems like they prioritized so many other things, namely the draft, that they kind of just booked themselves into a corner here. And now they're almost trying to make the best out of a bad situation. But let me tell you something. The Raw team is freaking stacked. Mm -hmm. And when they actually announced Braun Strowman versus Keith Lee versus Sheamus, my radar went off. Uh Because what you think about big meaty men slapping meat, you think Strowman and Keith Lee. Let's not forget, just because Sheamus has lost a couple pounds and he's and he's trim as hell, that's a big, meaty man in his own right. This match, Chris, this match was an absolute barn burner. It was a banger. You saw Keith Lee pounce Strowman out of the ring early. Then he did that really dangerous, by the way, Tope Nilo, where he nearly broke his neck on the <laughs> ring apron. He can fly. I'm okay with him doing dives and top rope moves. He should never do that again. Just <laughs> Flat out, never do that again. I don't want to see that specific move from him. But like I said, this was a banger. It was the definition of... (laughs) Big meaty man slapping me. (laughs) The spot with Strowman splashing both through the barricade was awesome. Sheamus somehow picked them up and hit white noise. Lee and Strowman did a super duper plex with Sheamus on top. Lee blocked the Strowman low blow. So they called back to the match, which was awesome. A really nice touch. Lee then hit a standing belly-to-belly suplex on Sheamus. And then you're worried because, oh, what are they going to do with Keith Lee? How are they going to finish this? And somehow bury Keith Lee again, or not bury, but, you know, hurt him. It was perfect. Lee was getting ready to finish Strowman with the spirit bomb, except he ate a bro kick only for Strowman to come back and nail Sheamus with the running power slam. So Lee got kind of saved and they put him in a position where he was going to beat Strowman. Sheamus is the one who played that role, and then they had Sheamus take the fall, who out of the three is clearly the one that needed to. Styles immediately after fell right into his captain role, making all the guys shake hands. Sheamus hugged Strowman, got some juice back by bro-kicking him, so he didn't really get hurt that much. From start to finish, dude, this from the very beginning, the, the promos at the beginning to the very end, I thought this was booked absolutely perfect. All we want is for stuff to make sense and be entertaining, this entire segment made sense and it was entertaining. I,
1: I love Seamus in this role, too, because he's like he he almost looks small compared to these guys, but, you know, he can take a hit, he can dish it and it's going to get physical when he's in the ring. And it's fun when he's in the ring and he knows he's with people that he can, you know, lay it in there a little bit more and he doesn't need to hold back if it's a smaller guy. I, I love Sheamus against big guys you got two of them here. Everybody looked good. You know, who gets pinned? It doesn't matter if it's a really entertaining match. And and that that's what WWE doesn't realize enough is that a, a guy losing doesn't necessarily hurt him. It's more the booking that hurts him than the actual result. So it, it was great to see how they played this out. Um, everybody looked good. A lot of fun.
0: Like, think about it. If you put Daniel Bryan or Sheamus in a Intercontinental title or U.S. title program or even a world title program eventually? Would you suddenly think that they can't win just because they lost to Jey Uso and um, Braun Strowman? No, they just they lost matches. It happens, right? People then move on and win matches. Like just because Drew McIntyre lost to Randy Orton Hell in the Cell doesn't mean he's not going to be able to win going forward. So you're right. Sometimes it's just like, give us a clean finish, have it make sense and make the match entertaining. And I thought that's what they accomplished. Staying with the men's team will pop over to SmackDown. You had Kevin Owens defeat Dolph Ziggler in a qualifying match. Robert Roode got tossed shortly after the match began, so that gave away the winner. But this was mostly formulaic. There was an awesome reversal, though, that Ziggler did. He countered the pop-up powerbomb into the Famouser. Mm -hmm. Owens eventually won with the Stunner. Fine match for me. Nothing special. I don't even know if you have anything to say about it.
1: No, I, 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 I like the way Ziggler takes the Stunner. It's a little bit different. Than a lot, but he really snaps it back. And normally guys bounce off to the side or they do a flip or something like that. He, Ziggler snaps back, which is a good way to do it, given it's generally a jawbreaker is what the move is. So, you know, Dolph's one of the best guys out there selling, and uh, I was entertained by the way he took the stunner. I, I, I judge a lot of wrestlers based on how they take the stunner <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and Ziggler passed the test. So
0: moving over to the SmackDown women's match, uh, sorry, I mean the SmackDown side of the women's Survivor Series match. We had a qualifier with Bianca Belair defeating Natalya and Billy Kay. I actually thought the backstage segment was kind of cute with Natalya mocking Belair, Billy showing off her resume to Adam Pearce on why she should get an opportunity. The match kind of felt slow and low energy, which shouldn't really be the case for a triple threat, but everyone played their role. Billy did the comedy, uh, Natalia was kind of the veteran just trying to lock moves in and Belair was the dominant force. So it did work to put Bianca Belair over. She didn't submit when being locked in a sharpshooter and had a face lock on her simultaneously. She eventually hit Billy Kay with the KOD as expected for the win. And we also got Billy introduced with a new femme fatale gimmick, which sounds like something from the 90s, but we'll see if they do anything with it because calling someone a femme fatale carries with it a certain connotation. Now, maybe that just because I'm familiar with the term and maybe fans that aren't just won't think that way. But to me it's it's a seductress. It's someone who gets involved in a storyline like that. And if they're doing Billy Kay comedy gimmick called Femme Fatale, that doesn't really all fit together for me. So this was not the best thing on either show for both weeks, but ultimately we wound up with Bianca Belair on the Survivor Series team, which is where she belongs probably being the sole survivor in the end.
1: Yeah, I mean, it got us where it needed to, which was Bianca Belair looking good and, and moving forward. You kind of got a sense that maybe they have plans for Billy Kay and Peyton Royce based on what happened on Raw as well. So we'll see. You know, we went off a couple weeks ago that they didn't seem to have any plan for anybody in the women's division. So, um, you, know, if, you know, if they give someone a gimmick, a, a new gimmick change, you got to go like all in on it early and and otherwise it, it falters out. And I'm thinking of Carmella right now. So uh, we'll see if this keeps up, basically. Well, that's the thing. They have Carmella doing her thing and Billy Kay, they're calling
0: Femme Fatale, but they're on the same brand. And again, she hasn't done any vignettes or anything to say it's the same gimmick, but it kind of feels like the name Femme Fatale is very similar to Untouchable. I mean, I guess it's slightly different, but it's both about. Being beautiful and seductive and getting your way. And it's just like, okay, it seems more like a nickname to me than it does a gimmick, right? And I think Billy probably needs a gimmick to get over on her own, but she is very funny. And I did think she did a, a fine job. That Peyton thing, I'm going to put a pin in that because I'm going to go off on that momentarily. <laughs> we'll talk about the Raw side of the Women's Survivor Series team now. We had a smack, uh, Smackdown. Why do I keep saying Smackdown? A Women's Tag Team Championship match. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax defending against Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. I actually really liked this because the entire match was legitimizing Rose and Brooke because they got a lot of offense in, including the roll-up that the referee missed. It was a short nothing of a match. They did ultimately lose, but they lost because of Lana. So Rose and Brooke looked like totally legit challengers, a totally legit tag team. But of course, then you have kind of Lana being the one interfering in that moment. Then you had Nia Jax defeating Lana. Jax cut a decent promo backstage before the match. She pulled the announce table apart before the match even began, which I thought (laughs) that that was funny and pretty smart. She toyed with Lana the entire time, pinned her with the Samoan drop, sorry, pinned her. Then Samoan dropped her through the table for a seventh time. I'm not sure whether Lana is on the Survivor Series team or not. I couldn't tell if it was a stipulation or if she was saying, I'm going to hurt you so bad you won't be able to compete and I'll end your career. I don't know. They need to clarify that next week, but I did love the spot again. It still makes me laugh. Lana seems to somehow be getting over a little bit as a face. It's weird that it's working, but it is. And they're clearly making a concerted effort to do it. So I didn't think this was great, but it was utilizing a lot of women in a way that didn't hurt anyone and got a couple women, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke in particular,
1: got them a little bit more over. Yeah. And that's what they needed. They need to, they need to rebuild some depth in this division. Now that the Bailey Sasha thing is no longer hanging over everything. And Oscar's kind of on the back burner for a little bit. So this did that. I'm, you know, we've talked about Mandy and Dana being in a tag team and some of the other stuff that they have, but you know, I think this was a step forward uh, in the right direction. And I've, I really liked Naya for the last, handful of weeks. I think her promos. It's so have, weird. Her, it's her,
0: so weird. Why do I like Nia Jax all of a sudden? <laughs> her promo doesn't make have, any sense. You,
1: you, sometimes you just got to get the right people in the right spot, and I think oh, I, I think this is a good spot for her. Talking down to Lana a lot. The the table stuff is funny. Her promos have been pretty good. She's allowed to just sit there and be tough, basically, and talk about winning and losing in Survivor Series, and not not. Nonsense type of stuff. So you know, I I I think her and Shana play play off each other pretty well. Uh, didn't expect that. So so far so good.
0: I think it's Shayna. I think Shayna's dry humor and wit and like sarcasticness and just the way she acts is rubbing off on Naya, and it's just really working now. You look, you know, we're, we're not seeing Naya go full bore in a ring, right? And maybe she was rusty when she came back, and that's why in particular she was not really safe uh, with. Asuka and with Kairi Sane when that happened. But so far, like since t- teaming with Shayna, she's had a couple really good tag team matches and she's doing this stuff with Lana and protecting Lana really well on the Samoan drops. So look, credit where it's due. Equal opportunity critics and um, lauders, praisers. I don't know what word you want to use, but we're equal opportunity here. And she deserves praise, you know, for doing a pretty damn good job. Now, look, I, was, I liked that Asuka wasn't on Raw, primarily because she's been the MVP of Raw this entire pandemic era. Not having her on a show was kind of a breath of fresh air. It gives us like a little bit of a breather. And we still had multiple women's segments. So it gave the other women on the show more time. But I, I got to say this, and, and we've talked about it previously a little bit, but you have Mandy Rose, who finished a successful storyline with Sonya Deville, despite it not ending the way we expected. And she's now in a tag team again. You split up one of your few legitimate tag teams, a tag team that was over, that people really, really liked the Iconics. And now you seemingly have Peyton Royce in a new tag team with Lacey Evans. And they did a promo during the match where they talked crap to Lana. Did they really seriously split the Iconics only to put Peyton Royce in a different, far worse tag team. I'm going to give a little bit of a break and say, it seemed like there was some consternation between Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans. So maybe temporarily they're together, but then they very quickly turn on each other and they feud. And if that's what happens, I'm okay with it. But if they think Peyton Royce and Lacey Evans is going to get over as a tag team in any meaningful way, they are sorely mistaken because Lacey Evans, despite some people liking her, is for me, a talent and charisma vacuum. Peyton Royce, the entire point of splitting her from Billy should have been for her to be a singles competitor. Someone maybe set up to be Asuka's first challenger coming out of Survivor Series. And now they're just hamstringing her her with this. I am very, very down. I don't think it's going to get Lacey over. And I do not think it's going to get Peyton over. It's got about as much chance of getting over as Orange Cassidy.
1: Yeah, I the other thing I noticed is that Peyton seemed to be talking differently in that promo. Like she didn't seem like the regular Peyton Royce, so kinda like with Billy Kay, maybe there is an attempt at a change there. But yeah, if if this is to be an tag team with Lacey Evans, it's gonna go nowhere and I don't get it. And you know, we went off on this again a couple weeks ago, that they've broken up a lot of tag teams, men and women, without clear plans for them. And so I don't understand what they're doing with Peyton Royce here uh, or, or or anything. I, I mean, I think this was overall a step in the right direction for the women. Um, but as it relates to what's next for Asuka and the potential Peyton Royce singles run. Yeah, that, that has not been good.
0: It seems like there's been a concerted effort on Raw. And I will give a little credit to build up the women's tag team division and create multiple tag teams on one show. What's difficult about that is there's only so many women. So if you create four women's tag teams on one show, let's say, then you don't have any singles competitors for Asuka unless just members of tag teams are going to be the ones challenging for the title. And you're just going to have Asuka hold the title the entire year until Charlotte comes back or until Becky comes back after her pregnancy. Maybe like, you know, we don't even know if or when she's going to come back. But I do give them credit for trying to build it up. The, the the problem is, and anyone who's listened to me for a long time knows I say this all the time about tag teams, when it's person one and person two, it's not a real tag team. Tag teams have names. The Revival. A great example, The Bar. They had Sheamus and Cesaro. They were together, kind of starting to win. It looked like it was working. They won the titles. They created a gimmick and a tag team. And guess what? It was a pretty good name. That's what you need to do. So I don't know what the plan is for Nia Jacks. And Shayna Baszler, but if they're gonna be together for any longer period of time, and it seems like they will, because those titles aren't gonna be defended at Survivor Series, they need a name. Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke need a name. It shouldn't be that hard to come up with a name for two strong muscular blondes who are pretty. Like just there's a million names out there. I'm sure by the end of the show I could come up with one if I had to. So the Hollywood blondes.
1: Oh wait, But, but, but but with an E, but with an E in blondes. Because they're because because they're women.
0: Yeah, I I, don't oh, know. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got
1: it. Uh, but um, I, I don't. But you uh, know what I'm saying? Like, do no, yeah, you yeah, agree yeah. with that? Like, like Kip Sabian and Miro. You want them to be a tag team? Fine. Give them a name. They need they need a name, and this goes with all tag teams. I had this problem with music. Bailey. I had this problem yes. with Bailey and Sasha Banks. Is the music? You can't yes. do one person comes out to their music, waits, and the other person comes in. Doesn't work. At least Mandy and Dana are just coming out to I think Dana's music. I don't even know what that music is. They, they changed all. They changed Mandy's music, Dana's music. So I don't even know if it's
0: one of them or if it's a new music for both of them. Or maybe they're just a tag team. So that's what they're doing currently for right now. But like the only time I think the combined entrance worked was the bar, because it really always was two guys who just teamed up together and real like that was you guys have to remember that was Mick Foley. Yeah. Forcing them to become a team. So it made sense it would be one person and the other. And then they started to trust and love each other. And then they finally became a team. But the way they combined their entrances was smart because it highlighted both guys and and them standing back to back with that light coming on was so freaking cool. So while I do think, yeah, they probably should have ended up having their own music and entrance, that one just worked in such a strong way. But yeah, Bailey and Sasha Banks being tag team champions as long as they were, and coming out separately with Bailey always second, it's just so sloppy and annoying. So yeah, that's what they need to do. They need to, if you're going to establish teams, actually, not, don't just put them together, establish them. And it's been a nitpick and a pet peeve of mine forever in WWE and honestly, other uh, promotions as well. AEW is a, a pretty good point. Kenny Omega and Hangman Page were champions for a long time. They didn't have a single theme. Kip Sabian and Miro right now, they're a solid tag team. They don't have a a single theme. So just if you're putting people together, man, just put some creativity and muscle behind it. That's all I'm saying.
1: It's it's honestly not like it doesn't take a lot of effort and it really goes a long way for you buying that they're a team. The whole point of tag team wrestling is that they're a team and that they work together as a team and that we can feel them as a team. And there's no easier way to get that across than, than a name in music.
0: And guess what, there's no easier way to sell new merch. If people like two members of a team, Cesaro and Nakamura, give them a shirt that they can purchase. Like, don't just put Cesaro ampersand Nakamura on a shirt. Like give them a name, right? Uh, Anyway, all right. Uh, So that is basically our main event. We did talk the main storylines on Raw and SmackDown as well as the continued build towards Survivor Series. Let's go through what else went down on SmackDown and Raw over the last couple of days. You know, somehow this Bailey Sasha Banks storyline did not make it into our main event, despite for a long period of time, that being our favorite storyline going in WWE right now. But this, I thought, honestly, was pretty damn good with one exception. And I will mention that in a minute. But Sasha comes out first and she is absolutely dripping in that gold catsuit. Damn. That's the most action I've had all year. She cut a pretty decent promo on Bailey and Asuka, playing it forward a bit to Survivor Series, claiming she is the best of the best in WWE. Bailey popped out and she mentioned Banks' failures defending titles. So, you know, that's something I've been harping on this entire time. Like, where do they go after Sasha wins the title? It's really about her defending the title. So Bailey did mention it and challenged her to a rematch but not for the next pay-per-view for next week on SmackDown. That's awfully soon for there to be a rematch in a feud like this, but I guess we'll see what the booking is. Corey Graves, to his credit, also mentioned Banks' failures in title defenses. But it's typical WWE and typical poor storytelling that they never just gave us the stat, right? I talk about this all the time with her. Give us the stat. Be specific. All you have to say is Sasha Banks is a five-time women's champion before this reign, and she has never successfully defended the title, a singles title in WWE. She is 0-5 in title defenses as a singles champion, and she's never held the title more than 27 days. That's all you need to say. Hey, Sasha Banks has never held the title longer than a month. And she's never defended it. She's 0 5 in title defenses. It's really easy to take what is a pretty easy and good storyline as it is. They had Bailey and Corey Graves tell it, but just hammer it home. Yeah, that's true. What Bailey said is right, Mike, Cole. It's not just that she's never defended it successfully, she's 0 5. Sasha's won this many championships on the main roster, but she's never successfully defended it. And I know I've repeated the same thing like four times, but my point is it's really easy. And if I can say it four times in four different ways, WWE can say it once.
1: Yeah, I, I assume they're going forward with this so Sasha can win and that can be the story and get through that and move on to Asuka and whatever comes next. But yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I thought the way Bailey kind of played it out was, creative basically saying like you know i'll do i'll do you a favor and i'll I'll take the belt and, and and uh and face oscar or something like that so you know it it was it was it was good it was fine it could be cleaned up a little bit but um once again we're getting another one of these this this will be what the second time in a the month these two have faced off on on actual smackdown so uh, yeah and the
0: first one was a schmoz finish yeah my, my other issue is this storyline of her never successfully defending it, it's not something that should be thrown away. It seems like they're throwing it away in right. one week. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like when otherwise it should be a full pay-per-view build of Bailey saying you've never successfully defended it and you couldn't do it. You can't even, you beat me once, you lucked out, blah, blah, blah. They're doing it in one week and doing it before we get the Asuka match. Now, look, is there a chance that they change the title? I think there is if Bailey beats Sasha Banks and then she goes to 0-6, now we're talking, figuring out a way to get them to WrestleMania because Sasha can say she wants another shot. Bailey can say, no way. Adam Pierce can say, look, you had multiple opportunities. You lost the title. We don't have a rematch clause here. You're going to have to earn it. And you can still have Sasha Banks then win the Royal Rumble, which now isn't as far out as it was previously, and challenge Bailey for the title at WrestleMania. So you can still get to that by having Banks lose. I don't know that I'm predicting her to lose, but I'll
1: tell you if she does, I wouldn't hate it. I would. I I, I don't think you can switch the title and then rebuild this back up. I think they knew that they had their moment of, of, of you know, they, they weren't going to have the big crowd and be able to get to WrestleMania. So they went through... They, they they had really good promo packages. They built this up as this was Sasha's revenge. I don't think losing the title immediately again and then and then going back into it is going to have nearly the same amount of energy. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I could see them doing it. You wouldn't, just, but they wouldn't immediately go back into it. That's that's the thing, though. They but, wouldn't but, immediately go back into it. But I mean, why not though? It's not like there's anything. There's not a ton going else on on, on SmackDown, and. It's it, we you know we played it out the way we wanted, which was they would have been on separate brands, and you could take a, put a pause on it. I'm just saying it's. I'm I, just saying I, I just. I I'm
0: just saying that it's it's successfully cont- if instead of them taking something that should not be a one week storyline and making it a one week storyline, maybe I'm just I'm theorizing here. Maybe they are p- giving us just the inkling of it. The hey yeah she's never successfully defended the title that's true, and then she actually goes out and does not successfully defend the title. She goes through a bit of a depression. Maybe you don't see her on TV for a month. She returns during the Royal Rumble. She wins. She goes after Bayley for WrestleMania.
1: And you still have that moment. But but I'm not saying it's the best move. But the moment... It, but the moment is the defending of the title at this point. It's not winning the title back because she already did that. She got her moment. So if she's the challenger going into WrestleMania. Yeah, that's a good point. Winning the belt is not that big of a deal. That's why. I mean, I I, I mean they could. I, I definitely could see them changing it. But I just I really don't think it'll work. You make a
0: good point. The moment now is her defending the title. But that's my problem with them doing it on a one week build on a right. SmackDown. Right. Like, if you wanted to build it up for TLC and say that's her defense, her first defense, now you're, t- and it's going to be a TLC match, even though that would be very repetitive from the Hell in a Cell match that we just saw. Then you're talking. Then I'm buying into it. But to do it on a Friday night Smackdown, look, maybe they give us a schmaz again, and maybe Sasha wins via DQ. So it's not, it's a successful defense and a technicality, but she doesn't get a pinfall or a submission. I don't know what they're going to do, but the fact that they're staying with the storyline and they're having a title match on SmackDown next week before a Survivor Series where she and Asuka could be going back and forth on a mic and, and kind of maybe doing something cool to build up to their feud. It's not the greatest, but I could see her losing is all I'm saying. I, I wouldn't necessarily come on here and rant about her losing if that is what they ultimately did. That's the only point I'm really trying to make. Right. All right, let's move on. Uh, Murphy, back on Raw, wants to apologize to the Mysterios. Leah said her mom accepted the relationship between her and Murphy, but Ray and Dominic still hated him. So Murphy wanted to apologize in the middle of the ring. The Mysterios didn't show up. So Seth Rollins comes out and said they would never accept his apology, but Rollins would. And not only that, he would support both of them. Rollins called Ray controlling and Dominic a coward, Dominic runs down and attacks him. Murphy brawls with Dominic, and then Ray. Aaliyah stops Ray from hitting the six one nine, refuses to leave, says she loves Murphy, then she kisses Murphy as Rollins stands on stage with the biggest shit-eating grin we have seen in quite some time. I know there's people, Chris, who don't like this storyline anymore. They're tired of it, but I I'm I'm honest on this show. I am still 100% into it. Rollins is clearly manipulating the entire situation and no one, not Aaliyah, not Murphy, not Dominic, and certainly not Ray are aware of it. Murphy thinks he and Aaliyah are rebelling both against the family and against Rollins when he's really being a useful idiot to Rollins' end goal. This, for me, dude, really works and I'm gonna play it It's a telenovela playing out on a wrestling show. Wrestling is a soap opera. It's a dramedy in many circumstances. It's a drama drama comedy and a drama action in many circumstances. This to me is pure wrestling.
1: I love it. I I think that's a good way to put it as it's kind of a telenovela right now. I've been down on this for a while. But, you know, there are feuds where things get ridiculous and they get annoying, but then they continue to lean into it further. They push past it and it gets more ridiculous and it you kind of come back around on it. And I might be there at this point. I, I may be coming around back on this feed now because it is getting even more ridiculous. You know, I've complained for a while that we don't even remember why this whole thing started. It started because Seth flipped out for no reason the day that Becky announced she was pregnant. That's how long this has been going on. <laughs> and and for that to for everything that's gone through with losing eyes with Dominic in and now we've got Buddy Murphy and and uh, Aaliyah in a relationship. I'm kind of coming back around to everything being extremely ridiculous now. And uh and I think I'm on board with it. So I I, I would I say I, I would say uh good work. Oh, and also throw in they moved this feud to a whole nother TV show and they're keeping it going as well. So uh, they kept everyone together. Yeah yeah. 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 So
0: But it was funny the way they did that. Yeah, the,
1: like I did appreciate the way they did that on the draft. Yeah, it yeah. It was good. So, you know, I'm I'm not hating it now.
0: Yeah, I, I like it. Listen, I'm just telling you guys, I, I totally accept if people don't like it. I love it. And I think it's also rebounded now that Ray is healthy again and able to start getting back into action. The question with anything, how do you end it? How do you finish it? Rollins obviously has to get his comeuppance, but at the same time, you also want Rollins to show everyone that he's manipulating them and maybe get Murphy back on his side. So there's just so many questions. I don't know what they're gonna do next, and every week is different. I so I'm into it. I'm just into it, man. I Hurry. like.
1: I, I just I wanted to keep getting weird. Like I want. I I want them to get a. I want a a a marriage ceremony now at this point. A pregnancy? Do you want a pregnancy? Not angle? Not a pregnancy angle. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. But I could. I I could get on board with a marriage angle, and and um, you know, getting the, Murphy. You know, asking permission of the father and. I, I don't know, like, just like make this super TV show soap opera drama now. Like at this point, frankly, that's where I'm well, at. Well, s-
0: speaking of a pregnancy angle and other things, Vince Russo might book. We had a guitar on a pole match between <laughs> Jeff Hardy and Elias on Raw. I actually don't have much to say about this, but the right person went over in Hardy. The stipulation was utilized without being overdone. They just did one smack and a top rope guitar shot. Makes sense that it would end the match. So while not too exciting. I thought Elias looked pretty decent in the ring. Hardy won. He's the person who needed to win. I guess that's a success. It was a stipulation match that wasn't exaggerated. So that's a win.
1: Yeah, I mean, neither of these guys are really going anywhere right now, but it's this is just meant to be entertaining filler, and it was, it was fine.
0: Over on SmackDown, we had the Street Profits defeat Cesaro and Shinsuke Nakamura. This was a non-title match that started really hot with a strong promo from the Profits. They showed that they respect New Day, but are a bit edgier. Then you had Cesaro kind of come in, toss Montez Ford belly first <sighs> into the void of the Thunderdome, which was a really cool spot. I love when they use the Thunderdome that way. The Profits won with the Superplex and, the, and then the cash out. It seems silly, though, for me at least, to give this away as a non-title match that the champions won when there's hardly any tag teams on SmackDown and Cesaro and Nakamura Were just the champions. So I'm not going to criticize it too much, but it just seemed weird that you're building up the profits who have been champions since WrestleMania for a non-title match at Survivor Series. You don't need to build them up. I would have done a singles match or something.
1: Yeah, this is what it had. This is the problem with the profits on Raw was that they beat everybody and they beat everybody so many times that there was nothing left to do. And there aren't really any other tag teams on SmackDown. So I know I, I, I know they got the New Day Survivor Series thing coming up. So I don't really know. You know, we talked about before about it. the tag teams are in a really tough spot because there's not a lot of competition and you beat somebody in a non-title match and then what? I, I, I don't it, know.
0: It's really crazy that they've now had, I think, three opportunities to merge the tag team titles on the last two months. And they're somehow not doing it. Like, it was a perfect situation initially that they could have done it. Then when you had the tag team swapping brands, they could have very well just said, "Adam, have Adam Pearce said, look guys, this is kind of a messed up situation here. This is what we're going to do. Survivor Series is coming up next month. Both titles are going to be on the line. The winner is going to be the unified tag team champion. Like, they had so many different ways to do it between the draft, the stuff happened before the draft, with the... um, brand invitational, whatever that was. And and then now coming with Survivor Series coming up. And they split up so many tag teams in WWE. It's just crazy. Like it, it would have made so much more sense. It's a good way to get people on both shows, have
1: them move back and forth. And they're just leaving it out there. I don't get it. I, I don't either. There's there's not a ton to say about the tag team divisions because there's just not much to do. Right. That's that's exactly right. All right. We had Sami Zayn staying
0: on SmackDown, trashing the United States champion. I thought Zayn was killer in this promo, tearing apart the United States and really the United States title, but the actual country as well, uh, as being inferior to the Intercontinental title because Zayn represents a ton of countries across the globe, (laughs) while the US title represents one country, which let's not even get into it. Sami Zayn is stellar on the mic. Bobby Lashley, Zayn again, heel versus heel. All these matches are either healer versus healer, face versus face, which is kind of strange, but I just thought Zane
1: killed it. Yeah, and, and, and he always does. And and I, I thought that was kind of funny the way it played out. You know, we saw Zayn, Bobby Lashley what, a year ago or something like that. And and um, you know, Sammy's good in the spot where he's the guy who talks everybody in circles while Bobby just kind of is the, the muscle of the look. So, you know, Sammy's gonna have to carry this sort of viewed from a promo standpoint, but we know he is more than capable of doing that. And that's what we got. I actually thought
0: the couple lines that Lashley did say against Zayn, clearly they were scripted, which is fine. He actually delivered them really well. So Bobby, Bobby within the Hurt Business dynamic, only having to say a couple sentences while MVP carries the load, it really works. And there was a lot of Hurt Business stuff. So we're going to split it up into two parts, the single stuff and the tag team stuff. You had Bobby Lashley defeat our truth and then you had Drew Gulak defeat our truth to become the new 24-7 champion. Truth was funny as usual, but it was almost a little over the top for me. Gulak came out, got hit with the Dominator, which was good to see for the first time in a while. It was obvious there would be a 24-7 title change after the segment with Lashley and Truth. Lashley basically just killing him. But I didn't think that Lashley would just throw Gulak on top of Truth. So that was kind of funny. What this was set up, talking about combining titles, This was actually set up perfectly for Lashley to kind of roll Gulak over and put his foot on his chest and have the ref count one, two, three, and merge the 24 seven title into the US title. So we never had to see it again, but they didn't do it there, even though this is like the second time that Lashley's had that opportunity, even with Survivor Series coming up, it would be nice to start building the mid card on Raw and create some challengers for Lashley. This guy's been US champion and outside of Apollo Crews, who is no longer on the show, there's basically no one pining for the title. It's really weird. So while I thought this was like all okay, it just left me wondering like, wow, Lashley is fighting truth basically for no reason. And there's no one trying to challenge Lashley for the United States Championship.
1: Yeah, it's... We're, because we went from draft to Survivor Series, some of these titles you haven't been able to build a feud for. Um... But I was—I I wanted Bobby Lashley to do exactly what you said, but I didn't want him to merge the titles. I wanted him to just carry both titles. Like, okay, we we talk about you know we we said this like a month ago when 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 they had that opportunity. I think when Shelton Benjamin won the title, you know, uh, briefly, like the Hurt business should be wanting to just collect all the gold, you know, and and, and for a moment they kind of did, and and so now when you've got. You know the tag team thing we'll get to, I was hoping like man, give them the twenty four seven belt you could have them going for the tag team belts, potentially, like again, there are stakes, and there is a clear purpose and goal for what they want to accomplish and when you have someone just completely discard a title it it doesn't it doesn't make that it doesn't help the twenty four seven title at all, even though I know the whole thing is a joke anyway, that's the kind of joke where you can't take any of it or any of the people involved seriously, like at all, like even haha funny, because they're literally telling you that this means nothing to these people.
0: The other thing that they could have done very simply, instead of having MVP walk away from the ring when Lashley walked in, they could have just had MVP be there. Look at Lashley outside the ring, say, wow, you just beat the crap out of those guys. Should I just pin Gulak walk right. into the ring, put his foot on Gulak's chest Now they have two titles. And the segment later in the show, which we'll talk about now, was them making a claim that they want the Raw tag team titles. Mm -hmm. So then all of a sudden, all four of them would have gold. So you had New Day and the Hurt Business go back and forth in a promo battle. And they all, all six of them, tore it up, talking some trash. MVP said Hurt Business, like I said, wanted those Raw titles after they took care of the retribution problem for WWE. By the way, they just ended that story. <laughs> yeah, uh, Kofi Kingston, Kofi Kingston drops fire on the mic, absolutely tears apart Lashley. And I like that MVP brought up that Brock Lesnar beat Kingston in eight seconds, and they aren't forgetting that the travesty happened. Then you get a match, New Day against Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander, which to you and I, we've talked about it before, we've wanted Benjamin and Alexander to become a tag team. And by the way, they're a tag team where it's okay for them not having a name because they're part of her business. But they st- they're they in this match and all of a sudden you have New Day, Benjamin and Alexander tearing the house down. Kofi hit a springboard Huracarana. Alexander hit a Michinoku driver. Woods hit a springboard DDT and then a middle rope DDT all on Benjamin. Kofi got stopped as he was going for a tope. And then her business hit a neuralizer and paid dirt on Woods to get the one, two, three, to end another really entertaining match on the show. I'm really excited to see this develop further, especially after Survivor Series. And yeah, look, New Day, greatest champions, sometimes better in the chase. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, and really the Hurt Business as a whole, they need the title. I would love to see these guys take the title off them on a Raw coming up after Survivor Series or at TLC.
1: Yeah, me me too. I mean, the concern always with New Day is when they lose the belt, how quickly they're going to get it back because they're already up to I don't even remember how many times now, but they're already near nearing the Dudley Boys record, I think. Um, but yeah, this was fun. It was exciting. The promo was great. The match was great. You know, it, it had the kind of fire that you want to see. And it, I'm even willing to give up a uh, so and so has pinned the champion, therefore they're a contender for the titles type of thing. Because again. If you if you tell a story and you execute it well and everybody looks good in it, I'm okay with that. It doesn't feel as it doesn't feel like a lazy decision. So, yeah, good stuff. And again, yeah, that's why I was hoping like there was a chance here to have everybody in the hurt business going after or having a title. And what they did with the 24/7 was just a complete waste of time and and a, a missed opportunity, like they so often do. I think with that title. Yeah, and it
0: it makes the title look bad for no one of Lashley stature or even MVP stature to want it like Gulak running around. They've been beating this to death. Now they have Lucha House Party and it's just like they're one of your few tag teams on your brand and they're good and they just got over on SmackDown. Why are you having them run after the 24? 7 if you want Tucker to run after the 24 seven title, let Tucker run after the 24 seven title. Let's put it in the hands of the right people and we'll move on because this is kind of connected to the her Business stuff and the Retribution shit that I mentioned. But you had Ricochet defeat, defeat Tucker. And Mustafa Ali comes out before the match and watched as Rick beat Tucker with the recoil in about 30 seconds. Now, not everyone follows WWE on social media. But if you did, Mustafa Ali cut an absolute fire promo before Raw, where, again, this guy individually is trying to fill the holes of the retribution storyline and tell people why stupid things aren't actually stupid and somehow through this guy's genius while it doesn't work to the degree where all of a sudden they're good and they're over everything he says makes sense so he cut a promo on social media I didn't cut it I should have I'm sorry it's my fault where he basically said it's so difficult it's been so difficult growing up with and and being in WWE with the name Mustafa Ali I like the way he says it now with the intonation, that he wanted the Retribution members to feel what it's like to be saddled with a name that people don't respect. And that's how he explained that he gave them the names, T-Bar and Mace and Slapjack and whatever. And he talked about them having to wear masks and 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 hide, hide who they really are. And then it, the camera zooms out and the masks are all there right in front of Ali like he's a boss. It was such a damn good promo. I did not see this. I know. You know why you didn't see it? Because they didn't air it on Raw, (laughs) where you have this group, this faction that you're building, that you're insisting you're not going to get rid of. You're having them lose a feud to her business and have her business come out on the same Raw a couple segments earlier and basically said, yup, we took care of that problem. Pay us with a Raw Tag Team Championship match. And you're treating Retribution like such shit that you finally do a couple good things with them, those being Mustafa Ali's social media promos, and you don't even air it as if, hey, this was taped earlier. Check this out as Mustafa Ali's making his way to the ring. Yeah, you didn't see it. Yeah, Yeah, it was really damn good. And instead of that, what we get is Ali watching Ricochet beat Tucker. We'll talk about Tucker momentarily. Retribution jump in, T-Bar toss Rick out of the ring. Then they all maul Tucker they stalk Ricochet, double choke slam him, and Ali says no sin is forgiven until it is punished. Okay, pretty decent line. What sin did Ricochet create? We still don't know. I don't even know that I have an opinion on this other than the good thing they did with retribution was not actually on television, and I'll pause there. We'll talk about Tucker afterward, but do you have anything to
1: say about how retribution was utilized? Uh, I do now because based on that promo I didn't see. I mean, they do. WWE does a lot of good stuff on on the YouTube channel where they have backstage promos and all kinds of stuff that should be on the show. And I, I don't get why they do that. And you laying out this promo from from Mustafa Ali that I missed. Like that that that's the moment. That's right. the moment I've been asking for for weeks about what this is, who they are, and why it's happening. And a, I need to go watch this when we're done. I guess. They 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 gave it to us and I I didn't see it so I don't what a man how how do you how do you do that how do you how do Let, you mix that up
0: You know what it's so good. Let me see if I can rig this. I'm gonna to try to play it. Let's see if you can hear it through the speakers. All right, let's give this a shot. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine being judged because of your name. I want you to imagine being mocked because of how you look. Now, I want you to imagine a man named Mustafa Ali that has given names and masks to members of retribution so that they too can know how he feels. So that they too can be judged because of their names. They too can be mocked because of how they look. They too can see the world the way he sees it. Imagine that. And now he's leaning back in the chair and you see all the masks on the ground at the end. So this is just fantastic stuff. And, and like I'm saying, Ali is making chicken salad out of chicken shit. It's He's literally doing it on his own. Yet the best, some of the best things that he's doing... They're not putting on television. So what what do they want? Like, do they want this to fail? Do they want it to somehow be worse than it already was? It doesn't make sense to me. That's a great promo. That's a main roster promo. It's a promo that gets a faction over. And guess what? You have a faction you're trying to get them over. Put the damn thing on television.
1: Yeah, I, I'm very surprised. I shocking. That was very was, good promo. Did you I like guess, it? Did you like it? Okay, that was really good stuff. Yeah, I liked it. So it's a real shame they didn't air it. It's
0: crazy. Uh, To to finish this off, uh, don't have an opinion really on Tucker other than to say, told you so. Like we knew that if they split Otis and Tucker, Tucker would be absolutely nothing. His name is back. Tucker Knight. He's wearing Knight on his pants. Uh, He's now a little bit more clean shaven than he was previously. He just went from guy who was feuding with Otis or who was his tag team partner, best friend who was pretty funny and doing a pretty good job in all those segments To now just flat out a jobber. Like the definition of a jobber. I didn't even know it was him.
1: I didn't even know. I didn't realize it was him. Like in the moment. (laughs) Horrible. When he was
0: in a suit earlier talking to Rick. I thought, okay, maybe he's going to join the Hurt Business. Like maybe there's something there where they have a similar mindset. But no, he's just a jobber. He looked awful. Um, Just it's what we always knew would happen without Otis. It made no sense to split them. After splitting them kayfabe wise, it made no sense to have Tucker turn on him, and now he's just nothing.
1: Yeah, that's he'll be
0: out of W. He'll be out of WWE in a year. I hate I, to say it. I, I don't want him to be.
1: I no. I mean, I thought he cut a good promo the other the last week or something like that. And, and him and Otis are great together. And again, I just I don't understand breaking up these tag teams. It just doesn't make any
0: sense. A uh, couple more things before we get out of here. Laura Sullivan did an interview with Corey Graves. Um, okay, so huh, how do I say this? This was slightly better than I expected it to be, right? Like, it again, it was coherent. And I didn't expect it to be coherent. But it tried and failed to be the segment for long-term WWE viewers where WWE had JR interview mankind mm-hmm. and that interview humanized mankind. Because Graves is not JR and Lars Sullivan most certainly is not Mick Foley. They did play off Michael Cole screaming freak during matches and had Lars explain how he got the name and it was from bullying. But it also kind of seemed like, you know, I don't want to say the the term, but he talked about like blood being everywhere at the school, you know, after people called him a freak. I don't know if that was what he was intending to say there. Um, it was somehow more of a tweener promo than a heel promo, but if it was meant to get sympathy for the guy, it failed. I have to be honest and say it was decent because it was just better than I expected it to be. But you have a guy explaining why he's called freak wearing a gray polo shirt and black slacks (laughs) sitting in a director's chair. That's not really a freak. At least with mankind, they were in an arena office and they were sitting on a couch And Jr. was kind of further back and standoffish. You had Corey Graves sitting right on top of this guy in two director's chairs asking why he's a freak. Lars sucks. I don't want him on my television. Just fire him. Again, I do not like, especially during a pandemic, again, long-term listeners know this, I don't like calling for people to lose their jobs. I don't even mean fire him. Take him off my television, pay him out through his contract. I don't want to see him. This did not help.
1: I appreciated the effort. I didn't love the execution. Is is his name just like the freak now, or is he still Lars Sullivan? He's Lars Sullivan. Okay, because it, it kind of got the sense that they were like changing his name, and I, I don't. He like, can't be the freak. He can't be the freak because Javon I, Curse is the freak. I don't understand. Like again, I don't understand what the point was. Is is are we supposed to? hate him was this a heel promo while wearing a polo shirt was this get sympathy because people called him a freak I don't feel I don't feel comfortable calling somebody a freak in a negative connotation like anymore like I I I don't understand what they're trying to do here um you know they had been going trying to make him a monster but being a monster just doesn't work When we have Braun Strowman doing the same thing, when we when we saw Dabakato do something and there are guys who are bigger and more explosive than him, I just don't know where he fits. So I, you know, if you wanted to try to give him a character and go in a completely different direction, like maybe you could make something out of it, you know, get honestly, he should have like put him with like Drake Maverick or something and do like a big guy, little guy. Funny type of thing. I, I don't. They're know. doing that. They're doing that on on NXT. Right. That's what I'm saying. So like like that's what I. That's what I'm saying. Better
0: so, with someone with someone better than Lars Sullivan.
1: Right. Way so that's Lars what Sullivan. that's what I'm saying is like something that could work. I I don't know where they're going for here. It's just all really weird, and I don't think it's gonna work at all.
0: I just think it's I just think it's so telling that this is how they're trying to introduce Lars. You look at what happened to Tucker. You look at Otis not even being on SmackDown. Now that he's not MITB guy, now that he lost Mandy, that storyline just abruptly ended. You look at uh, Billy Kay and Peyton Royce basically having no direction, even though Billy has a new gimmick. Mandy Rose being back in a tag team, you know, for all of the praise that we can heap on WWE when they do things right. And look, the WWE product right now is way better than it was before WrestleMania. Like, there's no question about it. The storylines are more coherent and cohesive things make sense they're entertaining they're putting on some really good matches but still woven into all of that is crap like all of the stuff i just mentioned and it's really it's difficult sometimes to watch the product and by the way it's not only WWE AEW has some of these similar issues but it's difficult to see so much good and then also turn your head and see so much bad when it's so much easier to make it good like just put things you're already creating on television like we were talking about with Mustafa Ali's promo with Laura Sullivan if you have to debut him debut him the right way slowly build him up against jobbers make him a monster don't just have him beat Jeff Hardy and then send Jeff Hardy off to raw it's it's just very difficult the way they're doing some of these things two more things really quick before we get out of here Carmella cut a promo and it was kind of good where she basically said Carmella is that woman. It was better than all of the vignettes that preceded it and definitely an improvement on the last one, which was horrible. I don't know about everyone else. I know some people don't like the gimmick, but I'm excited to see Carmella the person and the wrestler back. When she was champion and really over the last year when she was working with R-Truth, she improved significantly on the mic and significantly in the ring as well. She's more than competent as an in-ring performer. So I want Carmella back on SmackDown, and I want her challenging for titles and being in matches, and I want to see her. And I thought that this promo, after the rest of them being pretty crappy, was at least a step in the right direction for her.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, like she's not somebody we don't know. Like it's not a new person or it's not a massive change where we need promos to explain who she is, why she's doing this. Like we we, we still generally know who she is. So I, I think for what they're trying to do, even if it's against jobbers or something, just putting her in the ring, giving her wins, making her look good is where this needs to to go and go quickly.
0: No question. And then the very last thing is one more promo. Angel Garza as a Lothario. This thing just did nothing for me. It's clear they're leaning into like seductive ladies man type of gimmick. I don't know where he fits on the show. He's not a mid Carter considering all the big guys that they have there. Without Andrade, he just kind of seems lost. And without Zelina, I just kind of think, like, what are they going to ha- do with Angel Garza? I love the guy. I think he's really talented. He'd probably be better off on SmackDown than he is on Raw.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the case for a lot of folks. But yeah, just kind of no reaction to it, really, honestly.
0: So overall, if you were going to kind of give a grade to SmackDown and Raw from this week, what would, what would you give an overall grade? You mean a single grade for the both of them? Yeah, just for WWE programming over the last week. I'm just cur- I'm curious if if we're in the same area because look in the main event, I think we have a tendency to stick with things that are positive, and or or maybe it's not even that. Maybe it's just WWE is hitting really well on their main storylines. If you look at the Hell in a Cell pay per view as an example, the three main matches were all like different levels of A, right? Or or maybe a B plus for the McIntyre Orton one. But the of everything else was kind of crap. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening right now is the main storylines on Raw and SmackDown are hitting on mostly all cylinders. But everything else, yeah, there's some good things, like in my opinion, the Rollins Mysterio stuff. But everything else just kind of seems to be kind of sloppy and not really well thought through, and just kind of in in some cases
1: insulting. So I'm wondering how that might average out into a grade for you overall. I give it a a B, but that's honestly higher than it's would have been for a while. I, I think it's exactly how you laid it out. I, I thought last last night's RAW was one of the first in a while where it ended, and I was like, "Oh, that's the end." I didn't I I, I didn't realize you know we got through that episode that quickly. It, it didn't feel like it dragged like some of the others do. So I, I give it a solid B. You know maybe up to that B plus range. Um, but I, I think a B is an improvement on the last handful of weeks.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm in the exact same situation. The main event stuff and the main storylines all being A's, everything else being generally C's or D's mm-hmm. or a couple of sprinkles of some F's. Yeah, I think I probably landed a B. But if you're telling me that every week I can get a B grade type of show from Raw and SmackDown, I'm going to take that every week. I was thoroughly enjoyed by those two shows. And despite some of our concerns about Survivor Series and the build and how it's not really doesn't feel that important, I'm optimistic that it's going to be a good show. You know why? Because we've gotten four straight really damn good WWE pay-per-views in a row. This company feels like it has found something during this pandemic, just in terms of storytelling, cohesiveness, like I said, just keeping things together together that makes sense. And maybe that's a low bar for some, but I think SmackDown, largely for me, has been the best, most consistent television show out of any of the four shows we watch in a given week. AEW NXT right there, Raw has not been there, but if they keep putting on Raws like they gave us Monday night, the Silver King is going to be pretty happy. And I hope all of you are pretty happy with this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. And if you are, and I know you are, you guys know this show is all about the five. So you need to head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Tell people how much you love the show. Don't just go on Apple Podcasts. Hit up Twitter, Facebook, text your friends, your families, your barbers. I'm saying families like people have multiple families. If you do, then you have some other issues going on. But your barber, your doctor, anyone that you come in contact with, which should be, by the way, socially distanced while wearing a mask. Let them know how much you love this show. Do not forget to follow Chris on Twitter at Chris Vanini. You can follow me, the Silver King at Silverstein Adam. By the way, Chris, I'm sorry I didn't use vintage earlier. I'm just not used to you having a nickname. We will make sure that we call you Vintage Chris Vanini going forward. Good to know. Okay. And follow this podcast, most importantly, at Getting Overcast. We will be back on Thursday with an ultimate preview for AEW Full Gear, which does have an opportunity to be one of the best pay-per-views of the entire year, along with a full breakdown of everything that, that happens on AEW Dynamite and NXT, and then yes, the Silver King Maybe with a guest, we'll be back on Saturday for instant analysis of AEW Full Gear as soon as it goes off the air. We have an absolutely loaded week of professional wrestling podcasting. We are well on our way to our 100th episode, our anniversary show, um, special interviews, our year-end awards. There's a ton of stuff coming up before the year is out. Keep it locked to the Getting Over podcast at Getting Over on Twitter. I'll give Savage the day off. That means I have three words left for you. Bye for now.